ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our guest is Mary Pullen, an amazing designer who has a whole ton of accomplishments under her belt, and she's the founder of Okidoki, and she also runs Digital Strategy School. So we're going to do a series of episodes with her on digital strategy, and today's introductory episode, we're just going to learn about everything about her story. So, hi, Mary. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you on here. So, in case I got it wrong, just tell our users and our listeners what exactly you do and how you got started with it. Yeah, so I'm a designer and digital strategist. Um, I'm now transitioning into product design. Um, I feel like I'm always in transition. But uh, so I started out as a web designer and, um, you know, started learning more about digital strategy as I worked in a few different agencies. So I had a bit of small agency digital strategy background, um, but I really wanted to run my own business. So when I went back to, um, you know, working on my own, I started to integrate what I was learning in the agencies and just realizing that that gave me a huge edge over other designers. And uh, so over time, that's become sort of my my place of focus. And um, yeah, now my partner and I, we've created a platform for people that launch online courses because that was also a part of my business where almost everybody that was getting a website design done uh, needed some kind of online course. And that became a huge trend that I was noticing. Um, but of course, all the tech pieces that go into that, it takes a long time to do that kind of um, technical integration and design custom development. So we decided, all right, we're going we're gonna to try our hand at this whole SaaS thing. And uh, that's kind of where I am today. All right. So we have a whole range of roles that we can discuss with you. But starting with your story as a designer. So you say you're always in transition, and I know that's exactly what uh, <laughs> what's the best way of doing things. As they say, successful people, they kind of learn one area and then leverage the existing knowledge to uh, become successful in the other. So you become like a person with a very rich background and a lot of experience. I, I see exactly that you're doing just that. And I also read a ton of blog posts, not a ton, I just read one, but very good one <laughs> about your story. <laughs> um, and I was... I really do admire your stamina and your personality and the way you overcome trouble starting with the early years uh, of your life. So could you share some of that with our listeners? Oh, geez, where to begin? Um, <laughs> I went to... So I went, you were in the crib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, um, it just always feels like I'm in transition. Um, you know, you're always learning something new and then taking that into your new um, new roles. But uh, I went to design school four years. Um, I always kind of felt like a mediocre designer at best, like I could kind of just get by. Um, never quite felt super advanced or didn't quite feel like I knew what I was doing. Um, and it wasn't until going out into, you know, the real world, as you could say, or kind of um, the education that happens on the job, that I just started to see the potential of um, what I could do with my skill set. And um, yeah, I mean, um, where, uh, where else should I go from I, I want to hear that life story of yours, like with data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I would say, oh my gosh, I, 
I grew up comfortable sharing that, but you were, so obviously can share it with us yeah. too. <laughs> no, I'm, t I'm totally an open book with that stuff. Um, I guess I never know what's, what's interesting to other people, but, um, you know, my, like I didn't grow up with a super educate, educated family. Um, I think I was the first and only of, of the kids to go to university and, um, Yeah, like they, my parents always encouraged me to, you know, pursue the art stuff, but they always said, you know, uh, you're going to be a starving artist, you know, like don't expect to make money making art. And so the, I always kind of had that in the back of my mind that you can't really make money as an artist. And so while I had an art background, there was this practical side of me that knew, okay, I need to find a way to actually earn a good living with, uh, with what I'm going to do with my life. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're hungry. You know, like failure was not an option uh, after school. Moving back home was definitely not an option. Um, I don't have a super close relationship with my parents. So it was like, okay, we need to succeed no matter what. And what's it going to take to do that? And because I never felt super um, advanced in my design classes, I just was like, I'm going to outpace I'm just going to learn. I'm just going to learn everything I can. And I'm just going to work my butt off. So I, I sort of felt like, Maybe I had something to make up for or something. So I was just willing to hustle. I had um, crazy hustle in my in my blood. And uh, <laughs> so that's super important. <laughs> and so even the first job I got out of school, um, it was awesome. But I was I was still working in the evenings and weekends doing freelance. Um, I was just so hungry to learn more. And um, I, I was so sick of that feeling of not knowing what I was doing. I really wanted to just find, you know, what's my place? What's that thing that I'm good at? What do I want to be known for? And my gosh, that's taken a long, long time to figure out. I think I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> All right. So as you're, you uh, during your early years as a designer, what kind of design work did you do then? And how did that translate into what you do these days? Um, I mean, I guess, on the job, I was kind of getting a little bit of everything. Like I worked at a tiny, tiny studio, just me, uh, me and my boss, Gordon. And I learned pretty much everything from, from Gordon. He was very, um, very concept driven and he really encouraged, you know, research and exploration and, and every decision kind of had, um, everything had a reason behind it. And so we did a lot of branding work. We did, um, you know, business to business, marketing, we did websites. Uh, that's kind of where I learned how to do web design because he didn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And I was like, I learned a little <laughs> bit of that in design school. I could do that. Uh, so I, I kind of feel like I got uh, kind of paid to learn on the job, to learn about web design. And that's kind of where I learned about, you know, Jeffrey Zeldman and Event Apart and sort of that uh, that group of people. And so for a while, I kind of obsessed over those those guys in the web design sphere, <laughs> learning everything I could and, um, and just kind of seeing what was possible on the web, that websites didn't have to look like these, you know, horrific, ugly boxes and, and whatnot. So they were really pushing the boundaries of what was possible in web design. And I just got really curious about that. Um, and also saw that there was obviously a market for it. You know, people were coming to the studio for all of this web work and, um, 
you know, my boss only had experience really on the sort of branding and advertising side of things. So we could see that the market was moving that way. And, and we knew that we needed to keep up, we were going to have to get into interactive design. So um, yeah, before that, I guess it would have been mostly print design, even like book design, conference brochures, things like that. And slowly over time, it evolved into um, websites, interactive, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what made you leave those comfortable premises over cushy designer <laughs> job that you enjoyed so much? <laughs> How did that transition happen? So you yeah. became a solo consultant eventually, right? Mm -hmm. So what was the reason for it? Yeah, I mean, I worked at that studio for almost, I think, four years. Um, and it was awesome. I learned so much, but I could tell that I was kind of stagnating. Um, you know, it was a lot of the same kinds of projects over and over again. Um, I didn't have control, you know, in terms of, do I want to work with that client or not? Um, so I, I, I was kind of getting a, you know, a taste for the projects that I was working on, you know, outside of my nine to five in the evenings and weekends, I was like, Oh, I like this stuff more. Like I, I want more control over the kind of projects that I'm working on. Um, so it was, um, it was a bit of a transition, but they were super open um, and really supportive to me kind of moving on and doing my own thing. And so I just said, you know, I, I love you guys. I love working here. I've learned so much. Um, but I'm really thinking that I need to start looking at my own you know, doing my own thing and spreading my wings. So they said, no problem. You know, what if we went down to two or three days a week here, you know, for a bit of a transition and I could help train somebody. And that gave me the freedom also to make sure I had enough clients, you know, coming through the door. No, that's super awesome of them. Really very kind. It was, it was kind of a win-win scenario. I mean, they said, like, we knew that you wouldn't stay here forever. You know, I worked out of their house for four years. I got to know them really, really well. Um, you know, it was a husband and wife team. And so um, they wanted nothing more than for me to, to grow and, and to do what I needed to do. So they were extremely supportive. I realized not everybody is that lucky. And so um, I'm extremely grateful that I had that, that support because it could have been a very jarring, you know, jump off a cliff <laughs> it happens it happens it really depends on the personality of a boss so much it took me a long long time to actually kind of get up the guts to to bring up that conversation I probably waited way too long but um, I'm glad it worked out the way that it that I it did and um, and you know they actually sent me a ton of their clients over the next maybe oh wow year or two. <laughs> yeah I mean they knew that they they weren't quite able to serve the clients the same way I could. Like they just didn't have the technical background, um, nor did they have the interest in doing that. So it was like, great, Marie, want to handle this website? Um, you know, sometimes they would handle the sort of overarching design and the creative and I would kind of, you know, roll it out. But um, even that became less and less interesting. Like I did, I wanted more say and more control kind of in the overall strategy behind the design. And so if I didn't get to do that, I was sort of like, yeah, you know, happy to, re happy to recommend you someone who can, who can execute that for you. But I really didn't want to get known as being um, an executor. Uh, but I know in the first few years of our, our business, that's a lot of what we do, right? We're, we're the experts um, doing the work and then we kind of distance ourselves more from the actual doing and then maybe we offer more consulting and guidance. So yeah, that stuff takes time, right? Exactly. So here's a lesson for everybody about living your corporate job. Not that I encourage that, but we think that our employers are, you know, thinking that we are 
perfectly staying there for the next 15 years. <laughs> But everyone there is a realist too. So、mm-hmm. it's always great to just be free and open and discuss that first. And who knows, like, what kind of opportunities that might bring to you. Some of the bosses do have the strategy of, you know, developing interesting career opportunities for their employees.、Uh, who knows? Maybe they're just creating a new department waiting to be headed by yourself. So <laughs> it's always great to bring that up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it can be. It can be scary, but I think if you're really honest and really open,、um, you prevent that resentment that happens when you, you know, you've been getting angry for like six months. And by the time you finally have the conversation, you're kind of exploding with, with anger or resentment and you don't feel like you're paid enough and all that stuff. So I think the sooner you can identify that stuff and, and bring it to the table, the better it's, it's going to be. Absolutely. I've been managing designers for so long and I've observed that, that curve of their professional development when they come in, don't know anything, maybe learn for half a year. Another half year, they're doing good job. Another half year, they're doing fantastic job. Everybody keeps piling work up on themselves and I can feel like as that pile of work grows, their happiness also declines. And、mm. it's really, it would be amazing if they spoke up earlier. Or if,、uh, you know, managers would bring that up on the table sometimes. So、uh, be proactive about your personal development. That's a story for everyone. <laughs>、mm, I love that. Yep. So、uh, we now talk about strategy and how you became a solo consultant and brought in that strategy component. That resonates with me so much because at a certain point I did exactly the same thing. I called myself a UI UX consultant. And you called yourself a digital strategist, is that right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> so、uh, tell us what exactly you're you know, putting into those words and how exactly you incorporated this new role into your consulting practice. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it wasn't, it wasn't the place that.、Um That I worked those four years that I actually learned about digital strategy. So it wasn't until I think I had been working maybe a year and a half on my own, and I got approached by a digital strategy、um, agency, and they said, Hey, like we think we have a role that, that might be a good fit for you. We see that you're a designer, but you also seem to be interested in the more,、um, like the research based, like the depth, you know.、Um, would you be interested in a digital strategist role? And at the time, I didn't really know. What a digital strategist was or what, you know, what they did. And I thought, Oh, I've been working on my own for a while. I've really loved this. I don't know. Like, could I go back to working somewhere full time? And I thought, you know what? It's, it's too good of an opportunity to pass up.、Um, you know, what if I could basically learn about digital strategy on the job from a company that already,、um, is pretty reputable? So I decided to go back to full time. And it was, I think I only lasted there about four months. And it was <laughs> one of the toughest, toughest gigs I've ever, ever had. But I also learned so, so much. So I just, I stuck it out and I said, I'm just going to learn as much as I can. I was initially thinking maybe I would stay there for, you know, six to 12 months. I definitely couldn't make it that long. <laughs> it was,、um, I was not the right person for that role. Uh, not a good fit, but I learned, oh my gosh, so much about copywriting, about strategy.、Um, you know, I would have to put together these, you know, 50 page documents where you're doing, you know, user research and,、um, customer personas, customer journey, all this stuff. So that really was what kind of opened my eyes to digital strategy and what was possible when you actually did the right research to actually, you know, build out a website that reflects what people Actually, want to see.、Um, so that was hugely eye opening. And I thought, 
wow, you know, this is this is not something that other solo designers learn about. And I certainly didn't really learn about it in school, at least not in any kind of um, real defined process. It's like, you should do research, but they, they don't really, um, I feel like the research you do in design school doesn't really prepare you for real world projects. So this was finally the first taste I had. And I was like, oh, this is how the agencies do it. Um, and so, you know, I basically decided to bring that to um, what could that look like as a solo person working with people that don't have agency budgets, but what could I do to at least start to bring a bit of that knowledge into that sphere? Um, and I started experimenting with that and improving my documentation. And then when I was talking to other designers and, and sort of seeing that I was getting these, you know, I had no problem getting fairly large contracts and a lot of my design friends were struggling at lower price points. And I thought, it's not because I'm a better designer. I'm not a better designer. Like objectively, I knew I wasn't a better designer than some of my friends, but it was it was kind of in the soft skills of like how do you actually present this service offering and how do you um you know, how do you get the client on board with this and seeing the value in it? And so that's where I started to see, oh, okay, I'm doing something a little differently here because of what I've seen at the agency level. Um, and that's sort of how it all began was really just that, that four month stint at that studio. And I was like, okay, there's, there's an edge here. <laughs> what was so tough about that position in the studio? Was it just because after being solo, you couldn't fit yourself in the framework of um, an agency job? Or was it for some other reasons? Uh, the it was a very difficult, um, yes, it was a difficult transition in that, you know, the hours were like 8, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And previously I could wake up at noon if I wanted to, and it didn't really matter when the work got done. So it was a lot more strict um, in terms of the expectations of my time. Uh, the boss was not super nice. I will say that. Um, okay, sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> oh no, no, it's it's fine. It's, it's like I don't I don't want to name the studio because like I really I learned so much from them, but it was um, it was actually sort of I never want to be treated like another um, by another human being like this ever again. I want more control over who I work with. And so it, it taught me so much about sort of interpersonal relationships and um, even just my own, my personal values of what matters to me when I'm, um, you know, working with a client and customer service. And um, I never want to make anyone feel shitty in our working process together. Um, no attitude. Uh, I take a very, you know, empathetic, very, you know, kind approach with my clients. And that's really important to me. And uh, I don't need a kind of tough love approach. You know, I'm, I'm a hard worker, and I don't need somebody um, to speak to me like that. So it, it honestly just became I, I actually just cannot walk in the office anymore. I, I couldn't face it. Um, even though I loved the actual work, I just couldn't handle the, the sort of office interactions. Yeah, I hear so bad. Yes, absolutely. I think we have quite similar working styles. Like my best strategy has always been being, you know, kind and empathetic. And uh, 
I overprice, I think, but I also overdeliver. Like that's my strategy to Absolutely. charge more just to accommodate for anything, whatever might happen, and then make the client super happy, like triple happy. Is that the same approach that you recommend? <laughs> Absolutely. And and you know, one thing I, I say to people is, um, I know that my tendency is to go <laughs> go way beyond the scope, um, and through no fault of the client, but because I can't help it you know, something comes along and I'm like, oh, I know this will make it better. I really want to add this, but that's going to add more time. Um, you know, often I take that on myself. And so I've just started incorporating that into my pricing, you know, knowing, <laughs> knowing that that's what I do. Um, that's why I charge a lot because I know that I, that I always give more than I tell people I'm going to give them. So I, I can completely relate to that. That's a great strategy anyways, I think, to make people happier than they think. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so rather than getting resentful, <laughs> rather than getting resentful, you know, because you're because you're giving so much more of yourself to your client, I just say, I'm going to build it into the pricing so that I'm not resentful when I want to go add a whole bunch of new features. <laughs> exactly. So today, as you're juggling so many roles, so you're a SaaS co-founder, you're working on your own digital strategy school, teaching people, so running an info, like educational business, training mm -hmm. business. Um, how much time do you have left for actual client work? Do you actually consult these days? Um, that's a great question. And again, you are catching me sort of in the middle of, of a transition. But um, at the moment, Digital Strategy School takes up the majority of my time. Uh, I'd say maybe like 60-70% of my time is spent on Digital Strategy School. Um, and that's where probably 80-90% of my revenue comes from. Mm -hmm. um, I usually take on about I'd say one full client at a time and possibly like a secondary or third um, just consulting client. And we typically only take on consulting work that is going to feed into Doki. So someone that actually needs to use the platform. So mm -hmm. it, it's basically consulting with people that are going to be building online courses. And so that might look like... Um, It's kind of like MVP consulting, like helping them figure out, is their idea viable? Uh, what content do they need? Helping them craft the sales pages around it and just really test that they're, um, like that they're not kind of working in secret for six months, building something that they think is the most amazing thing ever and then launching it to crickets. So we do a lot of that sort of MVP consulting. Yeah, so that's more like project a product guidance as opposed to design work consulting. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, Between your roles, which parts of your, like, how does your day look and <laughs> what, what does it look and uh, what parts of that do you enjoy the most? Um, I'm, I guess I'm always experimenting with my schedule, but, um, you know, I try to set up like Mondays and Wednesdays are mentorship days. And mm -hmm. so I'll do mentorship in the mornings and then the afternoon will be, you know, writing content, working on blog posts, that sort of thing. Um, I try to have like podcast interviews or consulting meetings and that sort of thing on Thursday and Friday mornings. Um, I love... I, honestly, I love what I do. Like, I love running Digital Strategy School. I love mentoring the designers. That really, really feeds me. Um, there's an awesome Facebook community that that's around as part of that. And I, I actually do spend a lot of time in that group. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty available to the people there. And... Uh, I love it. I love the consulting. I love the challenge of the SaaS side of things. So it's, um, I guess, you know, like anyone, it's the administrative stuff that gets kind of annoying. Um, but 
I love most parts of my day and most parts of my job. And, and, um, you know, on the SaaS side of things, there's just, it feels like new education every single day, right? There's just always something new to learn. And I love that. I love the challenge of that. I love um, being kind of pushed and pulled in these different directions. That suits me really well, because uh, it just feels like things are always evolving. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I love all the things, basically. <laughs> that's amazing. So you don't have any problems. That's that's a dream place to be at. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, the the real problem or struggle right now is... is um, you know, what, it, what do our offerings need to look like to make sure that we're kind of honoring our time and making sure that we are um, leaving the time for the development of the product and not only doing the actual one-on-one consulting. And so it's really just, yeah, figuring it's, it's a constant battle to figure out what that balance is and kind of how many clients should we take on? You know, what is a good pace and can we productize those offers in a better way? You know, if we're doing these roadmaps, is there a more efficient way to do that? And so it's a lot of like strategy and problem solving internally. And as you know, it can be hard to kind of come up with that for yourself. So for me, it's so important to have these sort of mastermind groups as well, where I can, you know, just run these ideas off of other people and and get out of my own head a little bit. Um, But overall, like, I love the different projects that I have on the go and and the things that I get to work on. So yeah, I feel very grateful. Uh, Busy, but good. Sounds amazing. So yeah. we're going to have specific episodes discussing different sides of your business, uh, including digital strategy itself and DSS call, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, just before we wrap up this episode, I'd love to ask you what your grand vision is. And um, two more, what you would say were the biggest mistakes that you did? And also what would be improvements that you wish you'd introduce faster into your professional development? So three questions for you in a row. That's hard, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And they're tough questions because the grand vision, I mean, um, my gosh, I feel like that's kind of a moving target. I guess... uh, a higher level view of that would be if we want to start a family, for example, you know, how can we set our business up so that it's supporting us not having to be, you know, both at our computers 24 seven. So just finding that work life balance where our revenue is leveraged enough that we can, um, you know, feel creatively inspired, feel like we've got that room for work, but that we also, you know, have time for family. So that would be, I guess, the grand the grand vision, how that happens, I don't know, because at the moment, if I'm the breadwinner with Digital Strategy School, while we're building up Doki, obviously, it would be great to kind of transition that revenue from Digital Strategy School to mostly coming through Doki. And that could be, who knows, right? Is that a, is that a two-year plan? Is that a five-year plan? Um, it's hard to predict kind of what that's going to look like. But you know, that's, that's kind of the idea is to just, um, have it be a little bit more productized so that it doesn't depend on hours of our time through consulting. So that's that w- ca- counts as a good answer for the first question. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's sort of the grand vision. Um, your second question was, um, your biggest mistakes and things that you wish you'd done, you've done faster. Gosh, biggest mistakes. I mean, it's or maybe combine them into one um <laughs> maybe something you wish you'd do differently or vice versa something that worked especially well for you i mean i probably would have launched a much smaller offering 
mm-hmm. as opposed I mean, to school? Absolutely. Um, I mean, looking back, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. It's like a fire hose of information that I that I packaged up, and everyone said like, start small, start small. But I didn't know how to go small. Like it just, well, if I'm teaching this, then I also have to include this, and it it just grew and grew and grew. Um, and so I think. In a way, now I'm kind of reverse engineering it. So I'm likely going to be breaking off modules into smaller one-off courses. Um, and so it, it's hard to say, is that a mistake or not? It's all good learning, right? I, I didn't know at the time how to do it any other way. But um, so, yeah, I would say I, I probably would have started with a smaller product. Um, the amount of stress that I felt launching, looking back, was kind of unnecessary. And I think <laughs> I think a lot of people go through this, right? The, the buildup and the fear of actually putting yourself out there. I actually had a whole new level of empathy for my clients um, launching their new sites, their new services, because I, I had never really launched anything before. It was always helping other people launch their things. So suddenly when you have something that you're putting out into the world and asking people to pay attention, oh my gosh, that's a really... And money for... <laughs> and like... A good chunk of money, like, hey, freelancers, you know, pay me $4,000 to help you, you know, build your business. It was, it was scary. Um, and looking back, a lot of that stress was probably unnecessary. And I'm sure if I'd started smaller, uh, it would have been a lot easier to kind of wrap my head around. Um, but I would say most people are probably way more ready than they think they are to actually put something out into the world. Um, I think people overthink it and we think, well, I'm not, I'm not the expert on that. And I don't know. There's, there's always still more to learn in any field, right? There's always more. Um, but wherever you're at, you always have something to teach people that aren't quite where you are. Um, so I always encourage people like, just start with something small, you know, try it. Um, you've got something to teach now, today, as you are. That's great piece of advice. Thank you. So where can people find you online? Oh, one of these days, I'll merge all of my my online <laughs> entities. But uh, I guess you know, Twitter would be um, one of the main places. Marie Poulin on Twitter, MariePoulin dot com, uh, WeAreOkiDoki dot com, and DigitalStrategySchool dot com. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. So see you in the next episode, talking about the story of your digital strategy school. Thank you for joining us today, Marie. Thanks see you so soon. much. Cheers.